experience your goodness and your grace and your message that you placed in his spirit and that, God, we would be changed when we leave this place today. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Good morning, Firewell. How are we doing? Happy New Year to you. Welcome. If we have not met, my name is Chris Carroll. I'm the lead pastor here, and I have no fear to admit that I am the chief of all messes. Okay, like fear allows us to take off the mask. We don't have to have our stuff together. We don't have to live in such a way that we can't repent. We are free to be a mess and free to be growing in Christ. Amen? Okay, so uh, I had an experience this week. Uh, I'm sure you all have had the experience many times. I do it all the time. I lost my cell phone. Any of y'all ever lose your cell phone? Crisis, right? Uh, what's, what's your typical response when you lose your cell phone? Like, what, how do you respond? I can't say it out loud, not in church. It's panic, right? Like we go searching for it and we tear the house apart. And if you have a spouse or a loved one or a friend or somebody who has an extra cell, they have their cell phone, you're like, hey, can I borrow your cell phone? And then you dial your number and you go, shh, shh, quit breathing. And you realize it's on silent. It's panic mode, right? I mean, come on, give me some ideas. What are you feeling when you've lost your cell phone? <laughs> Joy. <laughs> Doug's like, freedom! He's in the small minority. The rest of us? Anxiety, fear, sadness, chaos. I mean, what's happening in the world? I just had a pithy thought. I can't share it with anybody. How does anybody know what I'm eating for dinner? Um, and so we start running around the house, we scavenge the house, we finally find the phone, and what happens at that moment? It's like joy, right? We're like, hashtag found phone, hashtag back on Twitter, selfie moment. Like, we're, we're so excited to be reunited and to reconcile this relationship between us and our phone. I'm going to make a kind of, it's a startling statement, it's a challenging statement, it's a we statement, and I always know there's problems with we statements because I make a we statement and you're going to be like, well, that's not me. I'm not in that we, but okay, you may not be in the we, but one day you'll be in the we, okay? You'll be in the we club. But right now, for some of us, we are we, okay? You're going to be in this we statement, and you're going to be like, yes, I relate to this. For you who don't relate to this, file away, because one day you may be a we. Here it goes. We will search harder for a lost cell phone. We will search harder. More diligently, we will invest more effort. We will strive harder to find a lost cell phone. Yes, I'll leave it up there. You take a picture with your cell phone. We will search harder for a lost cell phone than we will for a lost relationship. Someone has said one of the reasons why we will search harder for a cell phone than we will for a lost relationship is because we have a better relationship with our cell phones than we do with actual people. I mean, I know that's not we, that's not you. But we already described it. It's a sense of panic, a sense of emptiness, something's missing from my life. There's, I'm not whole when my cell phone's not around. And I think it's because we pour everything in. We spend so much time with it. We shine it up. We pour our thoughts and our feelings. And we can attack people. And they, they can't get back at us because we just unfriend them. It's great. So let's go back. Okay, so what's the feeling you have when you've lost your cell phone? Is it happiness or sadness? For Doug Starkey, it's absolute joy. But for the rest of us, 
It's sadness. And what is the feeling when we find our cell phone? Selfie! What is the feeling that we experience when we lose a relationship? Sadness. What is the emotion and what is the feeling when we reconcile that relationship? We have no idea. Because it's so rarely done. Family, we have an uncanny ability as adults. I don't know when it developed. Maybe it was on the schoolyard. Maybe because that person wasn't friends, but they weren't nice to us. We were like, oh, I'm going to take my kickball. I'm going to go home. I don't know when it developed. It certainly wasn't when we were itty-bitties, because I'll tell you, my little boys, they will be, they'll be fighting and screaming, I hate you! Ah! Five minutes later, they're like, oh, we're the best friends. You're like, what just happened? Didn't you just say you hated each other? What, Daddy? That was like forever ago. No, it wasn't. But somewhere between that age and where we are right now, when a relationship fractures, there's conflict, there's some type of friction or whatever, we, we respond totally in our flesh. And there's like two reactions, right? It's like either we fight, we go to fist with them, either verbally or literally to fist, or we just flee. And all of a sudden, they're just, we're just gone. And there's a hole the size of that person in our life. God has so radically gotten a hold of my heart. I know we're supposed to be in the book of Acts, and many of you, you stout Bible students right now are going, hey, we're supposed to be in Acts chapter 14 right now. I'm, I'm sorry, God has, has detoured our church. To the point where last week I had a message planned. If you have not seen the message on Facebook, if you've not heard it on, on our, our website, please go back and listen to it because it is a message straight from God. He so grabbed a hold of my heart in the service last week. I had my whole manuscript planned out, and y'all were here. Some of you were here, right? You remember that? That was weird, right? And I started saying crazy stuff like, I don't know what's about to happen. You all are like, oh, we don't either, but we're, hold on, let me get my cell phone. Because this may go viral in a bad way. He's about to lose it. He's going to lose his mind. I'm about to lose my mind. And, and this is what God did. He said, put that sermon away. It was a great sermon. It was about loving God and loving others. I mean, we know that. We're supposed to do that. But God said, no, 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 no. You're going to talk about this, this one concept that Satan is literally, we're, we're getting our butts kicked. Our relationships are being torn apart. Friendships, marriages, parents and children, churches, communities, coworkers, like fracturing, man. And Satan is having a field day. And us as Christians, we're like, I don't know what we're supposed to do about this because there's supposed to be power in Jesus, but something's happening and there's no way. How does this get fixed? Relationships are being torn apart. And it's this wonderful concept that God downloaded to us last week, and he's not going to let us get away from it. In fact, over the next few weeks, we're going to have a series of conversations. So get ready right now, okay? You guys are going to participate today. Because I'm on the journey with you. I'm not preaching at you. I'm on a journey with you. We'll return to the book of Acts, but for the next few weeks, it's going to be this concept, and here it is. Reconciliation. The concept of reconciliation. Of building back a bridge that has been busted. Of seeking a wholeness to something that is no longer whole. Because as adults, we have developed a really dangerous practice of letting friendships and relationships go and then responding one of two ways. And it was, I've experienced it, and, and I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but I was at a local grocery store, 
and uh, I'm going down the aisle, and I was getting onions. Okay, that's all I was in there for. And I came around the corner, and there was that person. You ever have that person in your life? That person, when you see them, you immediately go, oh, no. Two options. I didn't see them. Or, hey, how's it going? Oh, everything's great with me. Oh, everything's wonderful because I'm the bigger person, right? We have that whole bigger person mentality. I'm just going to show them how good I am, even though inside we're dying. And you know what? Jesus has an issue with that. He has an issue with our fracturing of relationships. He's not cool with it. And I pray that at the end of this discussion that we're no longer cool with it. So this is what really jacked up my, my world. Matthew chapter 5. Before you read this, before you put it up, hold on, Shelley. This is going to mess your life up. Okay, so if you want to live, like, like if you want to just like live like you've been living and, and you don't want to have to do tough stuff, this would be a great time to like go, I got to go to the bathroom and then just hop in your car and drive away. Because this, these verses are going to jack your, your whole enchilada up. It messed me up. Matthew 5, verse 23. So, if you, who's you? Anyone who's hearing this. So it's you, it's me, it's you, it's y'all. Are offering your gift at the altar and there, uh, a moment of clarity, you remember that your brother has something against you. And so what's the picture here? Okay, so the picture, Jesus is speaking to a primarily Jewish audience, and as he's talking to them, he's talking about the temple in Jerusalem, and what somebody would do at the temple in Jerusalem is they would take an offering, they would purchase an animal, and they would carry it to the temple or lead it, or I, I don't know how they did it, in a cage or whatever, and they would bring it to the priest. The priest would take the animal as an animal offering, and that animal would be offered on an altar. So what Jesus is saying is, hey, to the Jewish audience, he's saying, as you enter into the temple and you bring your offering, and there you remember that somebody has something against you, you go, hey, hold on to this sheep for me for a moment or for a couple of days. or a couple. I got some work to do because there's a relationship that has been fractured, and God is not pleased if I just bring my offering. He wants me to go get this person, and we'll bring this offering together. See, God is more concerned with us reconciling relationships than receiving our offering. But as we're listening to that, we're going, well, this isn't the temple, and we're not bringing in animal sacrifices. No, far more are we ourselves are the sacrifice because as Christ is our true sacrifice as believers, we are the temple of the living God. And as Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's holy and pleasing. And so when we come in on Sunday mornings, often the mentality is, you know, we're coming in to be served, and it's like, well, I sure hope the music's good, and I sure hope that Pastor Chris has got his stuff on right. I hope it's funny, yet intellectual, but not too deep. I mean, come on, I don't want to go to that level. I want to keep it up here, but I want to be challenged, but not too challenged. I want to be convicted, but not too convicted. I hope it's good. And uh, we come in and we sit down, and that's totally, totally not the, the thought. The thought is we're coming in as living sacrifices. We're bringing an offering, and who's the offering? We are. And so what Jesus is saying to us is, hey, you come into the church, you come to bring an offering, but you know what? You know that your brother has something against you. You got work to do. And here's what's fascinating about this, and I hope you see this. You will notice there is no discussion of right or wrong. 
You will not hear Jesus say, well, one person was right and one person was wrong. And that's probably our biggest hang-up when it comes to reconciliation. We're like, you have no idea how wrong they are. And that person's like, you have no idea how wrong they are. And you know what? Here's just a newsflash. The cross declares we're all wrong. Are you okay with that? That I get it, there are people who have done us wrong, they've scuffed our shoes or whatever, but that's not the issue here. Reconciliation is not focused on right and wrong, it's focused on hurt. You there remember that your brother has something against you. They have hurt in their heart. It is keeping them from worship. The biggest issue is not who's right and wrong, it's I care more about my brother than I do about this issue. They're hurting, they're separated from God. I'm going to go fix that. And so Jesus in verse 24 says this, you leave your gift there before the altar, go first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift on the altar. You go reconcile, and that word to reconcile means to build the bridge, it means to change the mind. It means to do whatever it takes to bring two fractured things together and make it whole again. And what I find uh, is, is fascinating is, is that concept is, is this reality that we hear that, we read that, but we so quickly ignore it. And we often ask God, God, what is your will for my life? And God's like, go and reconcile it. You're like, hey, do you have any other options? This has been very hard for me. And I keep pointing back here because I, I have my monitor back there. But here, this is hard for me. And the reason why it's hard is because in my young pastoral career, I've hurt some people. I didn't mean to. I didn't like wake up one morning and go, you know what? I'm really going to jack somebody up today. No, I actually in my self-distortion thought I was a, being a blessing. And in the process, I've hurt people. Some of you are like, oh my gosh, this guy, I told you, I'm king of all messes, right? Chief among us. And um, I've been having some grocery store experiences where I walk onto Kroger or Tom Thumb or whatever it is, aisle six with the chips. And it's like, Sour cream onion, barbecue, sweet Maui onion, you draw or I draw. So two options. I act like I don't see you. I don't need chips. I need olives. Or I'm great. Here's your definition of reconciliation. Here's what we're striving for. Same aisle, same chips, same person, and there's been healing and you can walk up to them, and they can walk up to you, and there's wholeness, and there's joy, and there's community. You may not go walking down the street hand in hand with this person, but you'd have no problem approaching Christ and worship together. Right there in the Kroger chip aisle. Wouldn't that be amazing? And I'll tell you right now, that's the heart of God. God is a reconciling God. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to see a couple of pictures of how God and how, how much effort he pours into reconciling lost relationship. And it, it's not just with stuff. He's, it, their picture is going to be stuff, but it, how he strives to reconcile lost relationships with people. And I'll tell you right now, he'll go to the end of the earth, literally. Chapter 15 of Luke, turn there in your Bible. 
We are in Matthew. Turn to the right in your Bible. Matthew chapter 15, verse 1. Uh, we have a couple of groups of people uh, that are kind of making their way around Jesus. Jesus attracted a crowd. I think we all have seen that very clearly in the gospel accounts. Jesus was always attracting a crowd. But a, an interesting mix of people, wasn't it? It wasn't just religious people. And that's what the religious people really had an issue with, is that Jesus attracted a lot of sinners and like tax collectors. In fact, verse 1, it says, now the tax collectors, somebody give me an idea. What's a tax collector in the first century? How were they seen, viewed by culture? Okay, they were bad, but how else? Dishonest. Thieves, crooks, swindlers. Some of you can think right now about certain professions that are known as, as thieves, crooks, and swindlers. Don't say it out loud because that person who does that job may be sitting next to you. But think about this. That's how they were viewed. But are we all kind of like that? Thieves, crooks, and swindlers. And then sinners, which is just kind of this broad category of people. Who, who are the sinners? <laughs> Miss Pat, she's like, that's me. Oh my gosh, so honest. Um, in that day, religiously unclean, ceremonially unclean, people who were called dirty, people who were called contagious. And what's fascinating is you have the second group of people, we find them in verse 2, and it says, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. Somebody grumble, grumble. They grumbled. Okay, so you have the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the scribes, and they're in a, I'm going to describe this, okay, this is going to be, it's, uh, please track with me here. Imagine they're in a box, okay? And in their box, they view the world through that lens, that box, that box around them, that's how they view the world. Tell me in that box how they view the tax collectors and the sinners in their box, what do they see when they look over at the tax collectors and sinners? Unrighteous. What else? Losers. Unworthy. Do you think they, they even stand a chance with God? Do you think God would even want them? No! It doesn't make any sense to them. In their construct and in their box, there's no way God would seek after them. In fact, this is what they're doing. They are inflating the faults of this category, and they're inflating their own virtue. Of course, we've never done that, right? We've never looked at another person and inflated their faults and inflated our own virtue. I mean, not today. <laughs> did you drive here? Did you drive here today? How many yahoos did you see? How many times on the road have you inflated? I can't believe that person changed lanes without signaling. Why are we driving so slow? Anyway, of course we never do this. Anyway, so their statement, and this is really awkward, they make the statement in front of the tax collectors and the sinners. What an awful experience. Can you imagine me just like publicly shamed? They literally cry this out over the crowd. This man receives sinners and eats with them. And Jesus goes, oh no, it's more scandalous than that. Oh, you think I just receive them? You think I just eat with them? I chase after them. Look at verse 3. So he told them this parable. Here's the parable. He's going to tell actually a series of three parables. And with each one, the noose gets a little tighter until these Pharisees are just straight hung. I mean, straight drop the mic moments. I mean, it's just, it's legit. For three 
different parables really all con- like professing, pointing out, pushing the same perspective. Here's the first perspective. One, God will go to great lengths to reconcile lost things. Two, self-righteousness has no place in his kingdom. Verse 4, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? I'm not, I, never, I never had sheep. I don't know if this is true. Anybody out there in first service, we had one shepherdess, one lady who, like, any of y'all ever had sheep? Not one? It's so much more fun. You had sheep? Okay, so Barbara Brown had sheep. Okay. I, I don't know. Okay, so do they try to get away a lot? I've heard that sheep are dumb. <laughs> you remember that part? And I hear that they just like wander off at times. And in fact, they'll like follow the wanderer. And you have to really work hard to keep them together. And if one wanders off, like you really do go out and get it. Is that right? Okay. I guess what Jesus is saying, what Barbara is saying, this is accurate. So you've got this picture, and, and obviously it's, it's not, he's not, he's using the parable to teach a greater principle. Who's the great shepherd? Who's the greatest shepherd? Okay, so I'm going to kind of reveal some of these characters. The greatest shepherd is Jesus. Who are the sheep? Well, that's interesting because 99 of the sheep are going to be the self-righteous this one wanderer is the sinner, tax collector, the, the, the wayward person, okay? So the sheep wanders off into the wilderness, and Jesus responds like the typical church responds when somebody leaves the church. How does, what does the church typically do when someone leaves the church? Ah, uh, nice knowing you. Uh, God will bring us another one. <laughs> Isn't that jacked up? God will just bring us another one. That's okay. And you know what? That, that has been our church, and I'm going to be honest with you, that has been historically our model at Firewell. And I'm sorry. I wish I could stand here and I could tell you that we are better. But as a leadership team, we came to realize at our elder retreat this past weekend that we ourselves are like that. And I'm sorry as your leader. I ask you for forgiveness because I, I didn't know. I didn't wake up thinking this way. I didn't wake up and go, oh, that's okay. If sheep leave, that's fine. But I live that way. What is the heart of Jesus when a sheep wanders away? To go and find him. And he doesn't just like go, oh, hello, sheep. Oh, can't find him. No, he like searches until he finds. Because the sheep, he, it matters to him. What is, what's going on in the heart of Jesus when a sheep wanders away? sadness and you know what what's crazy is he seeks to rejoice jesus seeks to rejoice and you know what we should strive and we should seek to rejoice and i i pray that we become a church that seeks to rejoice and what i mean by that is verse five and when he has found it he lays it on his shoulders we might actually do this and when he found it he punched it in the face you stupid sheep or when we find it we give it a crazy haircut oh you think this is fun you're gonna be the weird one 
wool all jacked up and weird. Hey, that's a weird wool guy. Do you ever do this? Like you, you seek out a person like to reconcile, but it's because you still have a pound of flesh you want to take. Like you didn't say enough the first time. And you're like, hey, I just want to tell you I'm really sorry, but I just want to I mean, I've never done that this week. So verse 5, he lays it on his shoulders. He lays the reproach upon himself. He takes the reproach of the sheep, this wandering wayward sheep, and he's rejoicing. He's sought after this animal. He seeks to rejoice. And it goes, it gets even more scandalous because in verse 6, he doesn't just rejoice. It says when he comes home, he calls together everybody he knows. He calls his friends and his neighbors. He says, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. And there's rejoicing. And I want to give you a couple of principles. First one is this, relationship has changed. You think the relationship between that sheep and shepherd has changed? That sheep will never leave the shepherd's side again. Is he, he was on his shoulders, man. He could feel his heart beat, his breath. We often get this concept in our minds when a relationship gets fractured that we go, there's no way we can get that back. And I'm going to tell you right now, there's no way you can get that back. It's gone. What was is gone. But what can be is better. The relationship may be lost in what it was, but what it can be is so much better. And a relationship that we have lost with a person, you know what? You can't get back what was once. But I'll tell you what is and what can be is infinitely better. And then Jesus, the, the noose is kind of tightening on the Pharisees and Sadducees, the scribes. He says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents then over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And what he's saying to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, he's like, you guys point out all these people's sins. You know what? You're like this 99 sheep. You're so self-righteous. I have no problem leaving you in the open country. I came to seek you. You've rejected me. You think you're good. I'm going to go seek after this one that's terribly lost. And the scriptures say that there's joy. They're celebrating in heaven over a sinner who is restored to God, that's reconciliation at its finest. Guys, that's the heart of God. His heart is to seek after, so to rejoice. And did you know that there's rejoicing in heaven when a lost sheep is restored to relationship with the true shepherd? When we are restored to relationship with Christ, they're celebrating in heaven. And you know what? They're celebrating in heaven when a husband reconciles with a wife. When a brother and sister reconcile, when son and daughter reconcile with mom and dad, or coworker reconciles with coworkers. I know you have no coworkers you have issues with. I know that. I know none of you all have no coworkers. There's no coworker issues. Right? You don't have that guy or that gal that when you see them, you're like, oh my gosh, it's Monday again. I feel like we did this last week. It'd be so much better. This company would be so much better if that person was gone. This church would be so much better if that person was gone. This family would be so much better if that person was gone. Our neighborhood would be so much better if that guy was gone. The heart of God is, if you leave, I'm chasing you. I'm chasing you down. And I'm seeking to rejoice. I'm chasing you in love. Because there's a hole in my life that's the size of you, and I need that hole filled. I need you back. 
And if you don't want to come back, I get it. But you know what? This isn't about me getting something from you. This is about me telling you I love you because you can't go to the altar right now and you're hindered from that. And I love you. I care more about your hurt than the issue. And I'm going to seek to reconcile with you because you matter to me more than whatever beef we had between us. You matter more to God than the issue. And when I'm at a funeral 30 years from now, I don't want to look over and go, gosh, why didn't I make that phone call? Why didn't I send that text message? Why didn't I just knock on the door? But I got my cell phone. I'll post about it. So no one else goes through the pain I'm going through right now. A few applications. This is going to be building over the next couple of weeks. First one is, is pretty simple. Make a list. Again, you may be sitting here and going, look, there's nobody. I, don't, I could sit down with a piece of paper all day long. There's nobody. Okay. That's cool. That really is cool. I got a list. <laughs> Pretty long one, actually. Um, of people who, in your eyes, might be hurt when they hear your name. might bring up sadness. Maybe you know of somebody who right now is in a world and they're so hurt and they're so upset and maybe you, you know friends and you're like, look, I want you to come here. I want you to hear these messages on reconciliation because I think that you can have healing. And so you, you make these lists, right? And, and my thought is you pray over these names. This is where we start to care more about the person than the issue. We write their name down, and, and you know what? Don't write the issue next to it. Because that's, does Jesus write your issue next to you? He just says, repent. Yeah, right, I hope not. Could you imagine what that list would look like? And you begin to pray and you ask God, please help me see this person as more important than my, beef, my issue. And, and I told you last week, don't start making phone calls yet, but maybe you want to start making phone calls. Uh, messages or whatever. I want to say it's better to do it in person, but I've, I've hurt some relationships so much so they won't even meet with me. They won't even call me back. But I still try. Make a list. Make some phone calls. Knock on some doors. Pray. And then secondly, seek to rejoice. Because what what's that feeling we have when we lose a friendship? What's that feeling? Sadness. And you know what? We seek out so that we can rejoice. We always talk about God, give me joy. God, give me joy. God's like, go reconcile with that person. Mm, sadness ain't so bad. In fact, it's all right. <laughs> Seek to rejoice, and they're going to be set free. And you know what's crazy? Is that showdown might happen in Kroger? And you're going to walk up, maybe tears streaming down each other's faces, hugging, saying, I love them. Isn't Jesus amazing? He did the impossible. He brought two lost people back together and now we're whole Lord Jesus 
you seek us out. Jesus, I don't seek you out. You seek me out. You have sought each one of us. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. And if you're here this this afternoon and you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, hear me. Please listen, friend. Jesus is seeking you out. He is chasing you down. And he wants to just pick you up and carry you on his shoulders. The Bible says you must first believe. You must receive that kind of shepherding from the true shepherd. You must put yourself under his care. And to do that, he says, believe in me. To repent of sins. To recognize the need of a Savior. We are separated from God. And so if that's you today, you're like, yeah, I'm like a lost sheep. In the quietness of your heart, tell him, Lord Jesus, I believe. I want to be your sheep. Please be my shepherd. I believe you died for me. I believe you were buried. I believe you've risen. You're alive. Please, Jesus, save my life. If that is your heart's prayer, I tell you right now, there is a celebration in heaven that would give Mardi Gras, put that to shame. And the name that is circulating heaven is yours. There is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Welcome home. Oh, Lord, and and for us who've got a list, it's a painful list to write, Lord. There are people that have, have hurt me, and there are people I've hurt. And when it comes down to it, the issues don't matter that much. But the relationships do. And so, Lord, if there's anything that sticks out to us, if we look at Matthew 5 and we say, yeah, yeah, I got I to gotta make something right. If we look at Luke 15, we're like, yeah, we got to make something right. Well, Lord, give us the courage and the strength like Joshua. Give us the humility to walk in obedience. Do the miraculous, Lord. Raise the dead. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, family. Let's stand together. You all did wonderful this morning. Stretch. Now go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering and share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all till we meet again, same time, same place next week. And please, family, do not forget, you are loved. Now, let that love be the bridge between you and others. Have a wonderful week in Jesus. We'll see you next time.
aside your garments that are stained with sin and be washed in the blood of the Lamb.